thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. I'm the host of this podcast. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs. I'm an ambassador for Endometriosis Australia, who do amazing work in our country to raise awareness and research for Endo. You can check out their website, endometriosisaustralia.org. If you go to the About Us section of that page, you can click through to the Clinical Advisory Committee, who is an incredible group of people that help out this charity, including this week's guest. Her name is Tracy Gaviso. Now, she is a naturopath, a nutritionist, and a herbalist, and has special interests in the area of preconception, fertility, and endometriosis. She's had it herself, and it's a really interesting chat around putting stuff in your body to make you feel better when it comes to living with endo. Enjoy this episode. Tracy Gaviso, thank you so much for your time and for being on this podcast. Thank you. Now, I'm really looking forward to chatting with you because on the Endometriosis Australia website, endometriosisaustralia.org, you have written an amazing article when it comes to diet and endometriosis. It is a hot topic. We'll touch on that (laughs) soon. But firstly, you yourself have experienced endometriosis. I have, yes. Well, my journey probably may not be as bad as some of your um, listeners because I was very fortunate in that I was probably doing some of the things that I now prescribe to my clients to do without actually knowing that I was doing them. So some of the symptoms that I were getting were very mild. So I didn't really suffer with any pain. Um, the main symptoms I had were, were a heavy period and I didn't really know um, that there was anything wrong because my, that's how my mum sort of advised me that, oh, yes, you're going to get your period and it will probably be a little bit heavy. And my sister had the same. So obviously now knowing the information about endometriosis, looking back, mm. that they probably had it as well themselves. Mm. So um, primarily it was that heavy periods. And then my endo was actually picked up only when I started miscarrying. And my first um, miscarriage caused me to have an ultrasound where they picked up a rather large cyst on one of my ovaries. And um, then they run some blood tests and they realized that one of my markers for ovarian cancer was quite high. So they were obviously concerned. um, In fact, when I'm saying quite high, it should be less than 35 and it was over 2000. So there was, (laughs) yeah, so they were concerned that I was more towards an ovarian tumor. So of course there was um, a laparoscopy done at that stage Mm. and that's when endometriosis uh, was picked up. And then from there, after that, there was another episode where I was actually in agonizing pain and called an ambulance to my house. Oh my God. And yes, I was taken to the hospital in an ambulance. And when I got there, I knew it was endo because at that time, you know, I'd already been diagnosed. So I thought, okay, I've got a cyst and it's burst. Mm. Um, But I was diagnosed with constipation when I got there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which was really interesting because at that time I was opening my bowels three times a day. So I knew it definitely wasn't constipation. Whoa, okay. Yeah. <laughs> was the endo on your bowel, which may have been causing the pain? No. Well, I don't think the endo was on my bowel. It was primarily um, on my ovaries. But um, after that, so what happened from then is I went back to my GP. They then referred me again. I had another laparoscopy with and actually a better uh, surgeon this time because mm. the first time I didn't have um, I didn't have a really good experience with my with my first surgeon mm. but the second time 
they went in and basically at that stage they diagnosed uh, stage four plus adenomyosis plus fibroids. Oh gosh, so, so you got the triple whammy. I got the triple whammy and then at that stage as well they did a hysterectomy and left my one of my ovaries. But I was actually expecting it um hysterectomy via a laparoscopy and when I uh, woke up it had been so bad that they had to give it to me via a laparotomy so I have a scar from above my from above my belly button right down to the pelvic um, bone so that was a little bit of a shock I wasn't expecting it to be that way so it primarily came from the miscarriages in respect to the fact that I knew that I had endo rather than me getting lots of pain so I was very fortunate in that way yeah what but then as I say looking back now my diet had always been very good my I was taking nutrients that I now prescribe as a naturopath because obviously when I was diagnosed I wasn't a naturopath Hmm. um, at that stage but I happened to be on a healthy path anyway so I do feel that that had made some difference with the amount of pain that I suffered because you know you would think that with the condition that it was in when they took the uh, uh, took the actual uterus out that I probably would have got a bit more pain unless I have a, a very high pain threshold. You might you have, have but the most incredible pain threshold to yeah, have gone through what you have. And you mentioned as well your sister and your, your mum with the heavy periods and there is quite a strong link genetically. So, you know, mums and daughters, my mum and I, we're the same. My aunties had it as well. So, you know, there really is that strong family connection which um, the, the doctors are now discovering. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I do remember actually my sister when she had her first period, I remember getting a phone call because she was in the shopping centre in England and she'd literally been caught because she practically fainted and almost fell through a pane glass window in the shop. So she again was transported home. And at the time, again, we didn't think think anything of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's your period um, pain. But looking back, then, you know, that probably was, was endo as well for her. And how old were you, Tracy, when you had the hysterectomy? 38. Still so early to go through a hysterectomy. Then you've got the menopausal factor to go through as well. Absolutely. Actually, no, it could have been, it could have been 40. Um, I think I was diagnosed initially at 38. So yeah, it could have been about 40. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't where I was hoping to go. Obviously, I I thought I would have children and uh, it didn't end up being that way for me. However, With the work that I now do, I always look at it that I'm hopefully helping people to get to, you know, the stage of of having children themselves. Yeah, which is a beautiful sentiment to be able to pass on and to be at peace as well, because I found out 12 months ago that I wouldn't be able to, um, to carry a baby. We tried many rounds of IVF. We're looking down the avenue of a potential surrogate, then COVID hit and it just became all too much. And we made the call. It's like, no, my quality of life, I would love to be a mother myself, but it's not for me. So instead I'm going to put my energy into being an awesome auntie. I'm going to put my energy into creating awareness for endometriosis in Australia. So your passion now is being a naturopath. You are based in WA and you want to help women feel good about themselves and and hopefully to help with the endo pain (laughs) and to manage that and also to hopefully end up in pregnancy. Absolutely. Yeah. That's where most of my work is done um, with the preconception and fertility sort of area. So yeah, every child that uh, my clients end up having, I feel as if they're, you know, they're part of my children as well. So that's where my passion lies in trying to make sure that 
um, that they get the results that they want. Or as you as you say, a lot of the time with endometriosis, pain is one of the key issues. So if I can help them with pain um, or quality of life, that's mm. going to be a, a good thing to to help them with as well. So yeah, that's where I tend to where most of my work comes the clients that are coming to see me. So there are many different buckets, as Professor Jason Abbott called it in the podcast we did, when it comes to handling endometriosis. One bucket could be the surgery. One bucket could be medication. Another bucket could be the alternative medicines, such as um, seeing a naturopath. And I, it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, And getting acupuncture as well and seeing a nutritionist. By putting the good stuff into your body, it makes a heck of a difference. Yes, it absolutely does. And I see, you know, I see the role of a naturopath as part of a multidisciplinary team to to help, you know, with endo, as you say, and as Jason says, there are so many different aspects and different areas to endo that you need to consider that, that one person hasn't got all the answers. Yeah. So if you can create a team of people that can help you and to you know, to bide in with or to tie in with your actual beliefs and your where, you know, the way that you want to go, then that gives people more choice. And, and that's what I'm all about as well. So let's talk about the article you wrote. Once again, you can check this out, endometriosisaustralia.org. Um, and it's all about diet and what you can put into your body to help with endo. Um, Sarah Marie Cameron on one of the previous episodes, she mentioned the FODMAP diet. And I know that Julie Snook as well, um, she started that. What are your thoughts around those specific diets to help with um, the, the endo symptoms? Okay. Well, with diet, as I wrote in my article, it's very tricky to actually get information from the research because if you were looking at one particular diet for everybody, you know, you would need to have two groups of people. One of them wouldn't have endo, one one group would, and they would purely have to follow a, a specific diet with nothing else going on or particular component of a diet. So it's very difficult for somebody to just have, you know, just fish for three months or fish for three, for six, six months for us to specifically say, okay, well, fish is going to help with that. Um, so the diet information is very um, general and you'll find that no, not one diet is going to suit everybody. So the, the FODMAP diet can be quite useful for people if they're suffering with symptoms like irritable bowel sy- symptoms. So the bloating and the, you know, the distension and the flatulence, if they get the IBS type symptoms with um, with their endo, then I find the FODMAPs can be quite useful. However, with the FODMAPs diet, it does remove a lot of really healthy foods. So it's really tricky to continue to holistically have a good diet if you've removed a lot of, you know, the vegetables and things like that, that have got these compounds in them that can ferment, but they've also got lots of other nutrients in them. So the idea would be to, you know, to track and get them to remove some of these foods. And it would only be based on a short term sort of diet where you would then have to um, try and work with improving their gut health and improving their immunity so that you can then slowly introduce some of these foods back in and see if there's any um, difference from that aspect. So we sort of tackle it slightly differently. So if someone's listening, what would your piece Mm -hmm. of advice be around diet? My piece of advice be around diet would be to go to see somebody that's trained so that they can work through things with you because, you know, we know that the condition is 
uh, an inflammatory condition. Mm -hmm. So really you're going to be looking for compounds and foods and diets that overall have an anti-inflammatory impact. And for you, that could be different. A food you could be putting in might be reacting differently for you than it would with somebody else. So FODMAPs is definitely a starting place. Lots of things that we do find is, you know, you can put things in that we know have got anti-inflammatory compounds in them, like fish and seafood. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can remove some of the general foods that are high in saturated fats that may have that inflammatory effect. So reducing your meats down, increasing your fish, um, trying to balance out the good fats with the bad fats. So taking out any processed foods and just start with that in respect of can that food that I'm looking at, does it, if I put it in the ground, does it grow mm. or does it come in, does it come in a box and, you know, it's got lots of cellophane on it and, <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been processed. Um, then that's probably not going to be a food that's going to be beneficial for you in the long, in the long term for, yeah. for general health as well. So I would start there or I would go to see somebody, a naturopath or a nutritionist or a dietitian that's been trained in diet to actually help you to, to sort of like clear some of this information that you'll get from the internet. Because yes. the yes. there's so many mixed things on the internet. So by booking an appointment and actually talking to someone is Absolutely. the best way to get the information. Yeah. And I find with the FODMAPs diet that sometimes you'll get results from not removing the whole amount of the FODMAPs. You might get the same results with just removing gluten and dairy. Mm. So, you know, that might be somewhere for someone to start to begin with because it's not reducing so many foods. So it's really just working through you. If you come to see a naturopath, you get an hour with them. So they do a really good case history with you to work out which diet's more specific for you to start you on. And then we do this rah-rah approach, which is basically remove it and assess, reintroduce it and assess. And then we'd work out from there a specific diet for that person. And I think the really important thing is making sure you're putting the good stuff into your body. I know that in my early 20s, I was at university you know, I was early in, in radio and I thought I was invincible and would oh, yeah. eat a lot of crap food. <laughs> like I'm talking, I'd have burgers for breakfast and then there'll be a lot of alcohol consumed. And during that time as well was when a lot of my endo pain was extremely bad, but I didn't realize that this was the effect the food was having on my body. Yeah. And then by, by living a healthier lifestyle, by eating proper food, Gosh, it made a world of difference. That's right. Well, it's something you're not really taught at school no. in respect of the impact of food on your health mm. and um, the impact of, you know, food on, on pain and, and those types of things. And, and the studies don't really support us in that respect at the moment, as I said, because it's very difficult to set a study up to actually look at a, a whole diet because you have to look re retrospectively at what did I eat, you know, six months ago or whatever, and you're not going to necessarily remember that information mm. but there's lots of things that you you know that people can add into their diet through the use of foods like turmeric for example there's quite a bit of information about turmeric we know that's a great um, herb that you can use as a herb but you can also incorporate that into your diet because that's got some great anti-inflammatory aspects and it's been used for thousands of years yeah. by the Ayurvedic sort of traditions um, so you can use things like that swapping out some coffee for green tea would be sort of like some suggestions to try to begin with if you haven't got the funds to go to see, um, you know, a practitioner. 
and um, utilising some of those foods, as I say, if you just remove your processed food, you may find that you're going to get results with your pain reduction. I think it's really important that we stress that every person is different when it does come to endometriosis. One thing will help someone, it may not help another. So it really is Absolutely. important to, to go and do the research yourself and to find out that information. I'm also fascinated by the herbs and mm-hmm. putting that into your body. Um, I've just discovered medicinal, uh, what is it? The medicinal mushrooms, the magic eight from Rachel Finch kissed earth. And I've noticed a big difference just with my energy levels from taking something like that. So putting herbs into your diet such as that, is that a good thing for someone? Absolutely. The thing that I love about herbs is that they've got multiple compounds in them. So we know with endometriosis that there's lots of different things that are happening. So there's inflammation going on, there's pain going on. Um, And with herbs, they've got multiple components in them that they're able to target more than one area at a time. So that's why I tend to like them. We do have a lot of um, history with our use of herbs, not necessarily strong studies at this stage with all of them, um, but we do have a lot of traditional knowledge and the, you know, the, the herbs, the, the way that I like them is incorporate them in the diet but also you can utilise them by seeing a herbalist or a naturopath because they've got them in more of a concentrated form that you'll be able to get some of the um, more beneficial effects from them. So, yeah, things like the medicinal mushrooms are fantastic for the immune system. As I said, green tea, turmeric, those types of things are going to be really useful as a herb, but you can also put them into your diet on a daily basis. And it's the things that you do on a daily basis that will have an impact on that, you know, long term, because, you know, you don't want to be going to see a naturopath for 20 odd years. You want to be able to get the information so that you can do as much as you can in your daily life. And if you're incorporating a lot of the herbs into your diet, which I think is something that we don't tend to do that much now, Mm. you know, we tend to have if you're looking at it just from a, you know, even just from a vegetable side of things, we tend to eat the same vegetables all the time. And, you know, you wouldn't think about putting in um, some of your herbs and uh, spices that in the old days, we would have had a lot more of that happening. So we would have, you know, used basil, we would have used oregano, we would have used turmeric, we would have used cumin, we would have used cardamom, we would have used cinnamon in pretty much everything that we were doing. Um, And now we might just have it occasionally if we have a curry or, you know, we might add it into one or two dishes. Yeah. But our, my one of my passions is adding herbs into as many things as possible. I've just made a beautiful alcoholic beverage for Christmas Ooh. that has been infused with hawthorn, which is a beautiful herb to support the heart. So there's ways that you can incorporate it into the things that you're doing on a daily basis anyway. Um, so you can add it. I've made some bliss balls that have got some beautiful herbs inside them as well, whereas somebody might just be utilising your normal foods to make bliss balls, I'll add in powdered herbs to mine so that I've got herbs going in on a daily basis. They really are extremely powerful. And since starting to take them, I've noticed a huge difference. So Massive difference. But you do need to take them and some of them don't taste that nice. So you've got to find ways to get them into your body, which is what I'm interested in, you know, incorporating them into your foods as much as possible. Figured out putting my magic mushrooms into my morning coffee. (laughs) Really does make (laughs) a big difference. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, it's got that nice, um, and you don't get the stimulation because there's no caffeine in it as well. So you get 
your nice support for your immune system as you're um, drinking your morning beverage. Now, Tracy, you are based in WA. If you would like to get in contact with Tracy, you can check out beyondhealth.com.au. You can book an appointment. Um, but if people aren't in WA, they want to find uh, a naturopath to go and speak to, is there a website that we can direct people to? Okay, now with that, you're probably going to be best to have a look at some of the associations because um, there's lots of naturopaths um, and lots of associations and there's about four main associations and then you will find if you go onto their websites, which I can give you the details for, um, then you will find the naturopaths that are qualified and have done the, you know, the, uh, the proper study. So there's five main um or four, four or five main associations that would be best to, or you could speak to Endometriosis Australia because they would also have contacts or be able to direct you to people within each state. Um, the main association would be Australian Traditional Medicine Society, so ATMS, or there's ANTA, A-N-T-A, or there is the National Herbalist Association, so NHAA. Um, or ANPA. So they're the four main associations that will have naturopath listed for each state. And you would just put your suburb in or your postcode to actually find somebody that um, been properly trained. And that's the most important thing. There's a lot of people Absolutely. that may say they are, but you need to Absolutely. find the people that know what they're talking about. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And most of the time, if you go onto the person's website, you'll be able to see whether they've done additional study in endometriosis or female hormones, or, you know, each naturopath will tend to have an area that they will tend to focus on. So to find one that does women's health or reproductive health would probably be your um, best way to go. Tracy Gaby, so thank you so much. You have been a wealth of knowledge on this podcast, clinical director, herbalist and naturopath for Beyond Health. Go and get in contact with her, guys. I've learned so much just in this space of time. And uh, definitely I'm fascinated to know that if I add some sort of herb to my gin, then it will potentially <laughs> be healthy for me. <laughs> we need the studies on that though first. Okay. Maybe I'll put it in red wine because that's full of antioxidants. And I feel <laughs> that's, that's a good combination. <laughs> I, could be, I could be sitting on a gold mine here. <laughs> that's right. For sure. <laughs> Tracy, once again, thank you so much for being an amazing support for Endometriosis Australia and for chatting with us today on our podcast. No worries at all. Thanks very much for your time, Ellie. Learned so much from our chat. That was Tracy Gaby. So don't forget beyondhealth.com.au. You can check out her website. And it's your online as well, endometriosisaustralia.org for everything you need to know when it comes to endo. Plenty more exciting episodes coming up on this special podcast. It is called Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. If you know someone who is going through this illness, maybe you've recently been diagnosed and you want to let your friends, family, your partner know what's going on in your life, please share this podcast around. Make sure you leave and write a review. Any support you can show for us would be absolutely amazing. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and I look forward to chatting to you soon.